Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. And a very good Saturday morning to you. It is Drive Time Radio in the city of Seattle and its environs and all around the world. We are here on 1150 KKNW. Every Saturday morning around uh, 8 o'clock, give or take uh, 30 seconds, because we try to get everything working. And Nathan does a wonderful job of that back at the studio. But me, eh, you know, I'm a little uh, tech challenged uh, as I am right now trying to get on Facebook Live. We're trying to do that. But uh, I don't know if it's what I do or it does or whatever. But um, I think next week we're going to have to consider trying to see if we can do this on YouTube. Or something like that, because I do want you to see my beautiful face. I hope uh, you all had a good week, and that um, you know you got a chance to to do some stuff and to uh, see friends, family, talk to them. At least uh, we are again in the middle of a, a crazy time in this country, and uh, the only thing we can do is, as I said last week, sometimes you get in your car and you go for a ride. And, uh, you know, you let, you let the whole world kind of go away and just uh, it's you and your music or whatever you're listening to in your car, your podcast or whatever. And you and you move on from there. It's your kind of your little uh, cocoon, I guess. <clears throat> Excuse me uh, for lack of a better word, but a, a cocoon or a place that you can find solace. And that's one of the one of the purposes that a car serves besides, you know, getting you where you're going giving you enjoyment, all of the things that uh, you like to see happen in your car, uh, get your kids to school and so on and so forth. So cars serve different purposes around that. It's uh, it's really a cool thing. Uh, so it gives me a place, certainly, uh, to uh, go for a ride, see something beautiful, and, um, you know, take in the landscape. I went up to uh, Chuck and a drive and just uh, just on a whim, you know, I mean, you're, you're close enough here where I drove up, sat there, turned my camera on Facebook Live, the, the beautiful sunset and um, and just enjoyed it. And, you know, it was cool because not only did I enjoy it, but I was able to share it with um, friends of mine around the country who don't get to see some of the beautiful stuff that happens in this area. Uh, all the time. So it was really um, spectacular to be able to do that. And it's raining outside. We have snow forecast for the, um, for the hills, for the mountains, for the pass. And I don't know why, but I am quite excited about getting up into the snow and just, I don't know, just feeling the snow on my face. You know how that's, you know, when it starts to snow, you stick your head out the window and you can feel the snowflakes just dropping on your face. Well, that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm kind of hoping for is that uh, it'll snow today and I can take a ride up to uh, Snoqualmie Pass. Uh, in a few minutes, we'll do Yo Vinny um, and let you know what I'm driving this week. I'm driving a, a, the perfect car for that, really. And get a chance to uh, tell you about that. We have an action-packed show for you this morning. And excuse me if I'm a little froggy this morning, my throat. Uh, I um, I went out and physically exerted myself yesterday. I actually went out and played golf. So I, it's something I don't normally do. I can't remember the last time I was uh, on a golf course. But I went out and played uh, nine holes yesterday. And truly found, uh, remembered how bad I was. You know, my old man used to say, uh, if you're going to golf, and my father was not a golfer, uh, but he always imparted to me the words of the late, great Louis Prima, uh, the fine musician out of New Orleans, who, um, whose uh, bebop style was different, comical, and very entertaining. He said, you know, if you're going to play golf, do three things. Uh, one of them is don't argue politics. Uh, the second one was here. Uh, the second one was wear knickers, and the third one was uh, always make your golfing partners laugh. And uh, if you do that, you'll play a lot of golf because people will want you around. Even if you're not a good golfer, they'll want to see you laugh. So 
That's what we did. Yesterday we went out. I did not play. I did not wear knickers. I didn't bring my knickers with me, but I do have knickers that I wear on the golf course. And, of course, in tribute to Payne Stewart and Louis Prima. Oh, that's so good. Cafe Bostello. It's muy bien. Um, so here's what we got for you today. Uh, a lot of you people probably know this guy. Uh, my first guest who'll join us at just about 8.15 is a, a historian uh, for the city of Seattle. He has worked with HistoryLink.org. He's worked with Cairo Radio. He's been around a long time. And we um, and, and, and we are looking at here in Seattle the demise, the dispatching, the bye-bye of one of, I think, one of the coolest landmarks, uh, the Pink Elephant Car Wash and that beautiful neon sign uh, that sits down there on Denny. And we'll talk to Felix about that and about um, what he calls the win- Museum of the Windshield. Uh, there are so many beautiful neon signs that are around, not just neon signs, but signs. And those signs um, comfort us. And we'll talk to him about that, what signs that have gone that are no longer here, signs that, uh, but there's such an important part of the road uh, experience, advertising signs. I remember the outrage about the R from the Rainier Brewery. I mean, how many Seattleites uh, grew up seeing that R as you were driving up I-5 and let you know that you were uh, almost home? So we'll talk to Felix about that. Sue Mead is going to join us. She's a good friend of mine, an automotive journalist, and she is covering uh, the Rebel Rally. And this Rebel Rally is something that's really cool. I think it's about the 10th year that it's in existence, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it is a bunch of uh, people who get together and women drive in the rally in teams, and uh, they test out and are given some of the newest and coolest off-road vehicles uh, to traipse through the um, the Nevada and California desert with. And they're out there doing that right now. Uh, today is day two of, I think it's a six or seven day rally. I, have to, uh, I would have to go back and check that, but it's, uh, it's a fun time if you've ever seen pictures of it. Uh, we will get the latest. There are a couple of Northwest participants in it, and we will uh, hopefully get Sue Mead uh, to tell us what's going on. We got the cartoon of the week coming up for you, which um, is is something that I uh, have always wondered at a, a song that I've loved for years, uh, but a song yet uh, that proves to me that you can see anything and write about it. If you're a good writer, you can look at any situation, anything. And, uh, and write about it. So we'll, uh, we'll hear that. Lou Christie is the artist that will join us. And we will review the Hyundai venue, which uh, we talked about a little bit last week. And yo, Vinny, what are you driving this week? Uh, but uh, we definitely uh, will give you the, uh, the lowdown and the scoop on that fine little vehicle. Uh, we're going to do this a little earlier than we usually do today because uh, we have a pretty packed show and we got to move on time today. So, uh, Nathan, I think it's time for our patented award-winning segment. Yo, Vinny, what are you driving this week? Why, Nathan, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> oh, Nathan, my, my, my friend Nathan is a good, a good producer. He's on the ball and he works with me. He's the best, man. When I get rich, Nathan, you're going to be right there with me. I don't know what you'll be doing, but you'll be right there with me. Uh, this week, we are driving, um, I think, if you're looking for a family car, if you're looking for something that puts you in the I'm cool, I drive a hybrid category, if you're looking for something uh, that's comfortable, gives you space, get the, gets your family around, moves them around, uh, you can really do not do much better in the um, mid-size SUV category, the Honda uh, CRV, and that Honda CRV, which has been around for years and is, uh, you know, a standard in the industry, uh, with all-wheel drive and and comfortable and 
great visibility, a tall car, spacious inside. Now comes in a hybrid, which was one of the knocks on, uh, if only against uh, the Honda, is that it didn't come in a hybrid, so people stayed away from them. Uh, but that is no more. The Honda CRV hybrid is uh, sitting in my driveway right now. We took it out uh, for a ride uh, to the uh, Snoqualmie Falls golf course yesterday where uh, we um, it, it held golf bags, it held equipment, you could sit on it. Uh, really a, a, a very comfortable, I don't want to call it luxurious, but everything is well done in the car. Uh, they, they didn't skip, they didn't half step on any of the materials in this car. They, uh, they put a nice car together. And uh, it's, a, again, I'm not going to say it's a fun car to drive, but it gets the job done. And in this category of car, that's probably what you're looking for, is a car that gets the job done, is easy, easily configurable, uh, the interior is comfortable, uh, several different types of people can fit in with comfort. It has a spacious back seat for when those kids' legs grow a little bit longer. And um, it uh, keeps up with highway traffic fine. That's what you're looking for, right? And has a good warranty. And all those things are present uh, so far in the Honda. The one thing that's uh, kind of cool, and I was talking to my roommate about this yesterday, is the fact that they took the shift lever off of the dashboard, and now it's a push-button shift, and it works perfectly. I'm starting to really like the push-button shifts because they remind me of the old Plymouths. And Ramblers. So that's what we're driving this week. If you see me around town driving it, uh, by all means, come up and say hello. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break here. When we come back, uh, Felix Mantle will join us uh, of um, uh, well, with Cairo Radio, but he's also uh, with HistoryLink.org. He is a hi Seattle historian, and we'll find out what the heck is going on with the pink elephant here on Drive Time on um, – 1150 KKNW. This overheated radiator shouldn't have happened. Or this street windshield in the rain. Or this dead battery here. Shouldn't somebody check those things for you every time? Your Texaco dealer does. That's his promise. Your Texaco dealer not only promises to check the things everyone ought to, he'll double check too. He'll check your battery. Double check the battery cables. Check your oil. Double check the fan belt. Check your radiator. Double check the radiator cap. Clean your windshield. And double check the wiper blades. What's more, your Texaco dealer's service and courtesy includes a smile and a thank you. That's his promise. You can trust your car to the man who wears the star. The big, bright Texaco star. Alternative Talk 1150, online at 1150kknw.com. Right back with you on Drive Time here on 1150kknw, New York. Vinny hanging out with you on rainy Saturday morning. And it is my pleasure to welcome in uh, a gentleman who knows um, a whole lot. You know, we need people in our society uh, that preserve history that uh, look at history and say that uh, for future generations, we need to be able to tell people what happened and do it in a way that's entertaining and enjoyable and informative. And uh, Felix Bennell does that, um, has done it for years, is involved with uh, the Mohai uh, and uh, so many other projects around town that, um, that talk about uh, the history of this city. And, and, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I, um, and it is, uh, you know, for me, history is, you know, 30 years in town, but, uh, Felix has the history and knows about it. That goes back uh, many, many years, but uh, the, uh, especially the pop culture history here in Seattle, we get a chance to, uh, say hello to him right now. Felix, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Vinny. How are you doing? I was thinking you should be in a museum someday yourself, don't you think? Uh, me in a museum? 
Yeah, don't you think? I mean, sort of a local icon and a legend. There should be a, a wing of some museum somewhere about broadcast history, and there you'd be a little an exhibit all about you. I'd be about you know. I, I would. I would love. You know what I would love? I would love that somewhere, somehow, there's a little plaque with my name on it, so that my daughter one day can take her kids and say, you know, your old man entertained people for a number of years here in this beautiful yeah. city. So. I'll, I'll let you lead the charge on that. All um, right. I'll, I'll start how are you, my friend? Online. We'll get that going. <laughs> all right. How are you? I'm good. It's been a busy week in history with all this stuff with Bartels shutting down, not Bartels being sold and the thing with the pink elephant. and all, it's, it's, History is, is constant here in the Northwest in the last 10, 20 years. It's been a very rapid rate of change. Well, I was amazed. And, you know, I was gone for 10 years and got back in February uh, just in time for COVID. And I was just so amazed, even, and it's not that I hadn't been back here, but but how much, how many things uh, that I held near and dear to me uh, were gone, were just, um, you know, it's almost like California, where, you know, it's one day it's there, the next day it's not. And it seems that that has happened here in Seattle, uh, to where all of these iconic, um, you know, the doghouse and... And, and I know these are things that have disappeared a while ago, the Twin Teepees and all these things that I loved about Seattle when I got here um, have have gone away and they've put condos up. Yeah, it's because people want to live here, and I understand that. And, you know, as someone who likes history, I also really like that things change because if things didn't change, it would get pretty boring. And Seattle in particular, its whole history has been about flipping every 20 or 30 years and a whole new city emerging that wasn't really there before. But of course, some things carry forward. And it's those things that we grow these, I think, sentimental attachments to, which I think is a really good thing. I mean, you like when you're driving around in your car to look out the window and see something and kind of not even not even make it the, the conscious connection, but you know you're in your hometown when you drive. I remember before they got rid of the Battery Street Tunnel, that southbound drive down Highway 99, right before you duck down into the tunnel, you'd look up and you'd see that pink elephant sign. You think, oh, there's the pink elephant. I'm, there's downtown Seattle. I kind of, I'm home. I know where I am. Yeah. And when those things go away, whether it's the tunnel that went away you know, uh, last year or the elephant sign that is slated to go away sometime later this month, the identity in the landscape just changes. And you're left with things like, I guess you can still see the Olympic Mountains in the distance. You can still see the Smith Tower if you're in, from the right angle and the Space Needle, of course. But down at street level, when things like the elephant sign go away, I think we lose something that you can't necessarily attach a monetary value to. But I think you lose this sort of unspoken connection that we all feel when we're driving around or walking around or on the bus or whatever, and just sort of visually registering these things and feeling a sense of connection to the people we live around and the place where we live. Yeah, it's, it's so true. Um, I remember when I was a kid, uh, you know, in New York, and, 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 you know, New York has millions of signs and this, that, and everything, but there's the uh, iconic Silver Cup Bakery sign. And huh. if you came over the 59th Street Bridge, you smelled the bread coming out of the bakery, you saw that Silver <laughs> Cup sign, and you knew that you could almost, even if you were asleep on the back seat of the car, you still had a sense of how long it would take you to get home, that you were back <laughs> in your neighborhood, that there was um, there was a feeling that kind of took you over uh, that said, okay, we're, we're home. We're where we're supposed to be. I, I love that. That sense of smell. That's a great thing. And funny, just north of the uh, old Battery Street Tunnel used to be a hostess factory where I think they made Twinkies or something, but there'd be that smell of that kind of, I don't know, what was lard mixed with powdered sugar or whatever it was. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's and a great that. smell. This has kept Fisher in business for years, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that, I, I'm glad you mentioned the sense of smell. I haven't thought about it as much. But, yeah, you're right. There's parts of the city where there's a certain odor, whether it's from Puget Sound or some factory that was there or it might still be there, that gives you that sense of like, yeah, you don't even think about it. It just registers in your mind. And that's why I like this, this, this thing, you know, this notion of the windshield museum, because I used to work at Mohai. I was there for six or seven years as deputy director, and we had exhibits, and there were little labels, and people would have to take time out of their day to, you know, drive over, park their car, pay their admission, walk around, read all the little signs. And that's fine. I'm not knocking museums. I love museums. But every day when you're driving around, there's just this multiple layers of history that if you take the time to understand what some of these things represent or where they came from, you just kind of live in a museum all the time. You live sort of immersed in this sort of history and context that I think makes your life more meaningful or at least more interesting. It makes it easier to connect with your neighbors about the shared space where we are. That, that's, that's the kind of history I love, that sort of 
that history that we're all we're all immersed in that we're not taking time to kind of like write a book about or do anything special to to honor other than just enjoy it every day like you driving past that bakery or, or driving past some particular sign or something I, I love that stuff that that's why i love seattle so much the size uh, of seattle is it's perfect because you can sort of kind of take it all in pretty easily like i've, I've spent a lot of time in la and there are neighborhoods that are the size of seattle in some ways and same thing right. with new york there's millions of signs but seattle is this sort of manageable size where you can kind of digest all of the history and all the landmarks really in just a couple days if you spend time driving around looking at it. You know, I remember, and we'll get to the pink elephant in a minute and what's going to happen with that, that sign and, that, and the car wash and everything, which I guess is not going to reopen, but the sign at least will exist. Uh, I remember yeah. coming to Seattle. It wasn't the first time I was here, uh, uh, but when they brought me up to interview me to, uh, to work at KJR, I remember standing in front of 190 Queen Anne and I looked at the uh, the PI, the Globe, you know, <laughs> and I was standing in front. And you know, and I'm a Superman fan, so I saw that yep. Globe and I saw Daily Planet. You know, yeah. and and I just looked at that thing and I said, "Wow, if this city is cool enough to have that thing on the waterfront, this is the city I want to live in." As uh, a city, it, it, it attracted me. And maybe I'm weird. I think I know I'm weird, but it really <laughs> said to me. That um, you want to be, you know, this is the cool city you want to be. And then, uh, you know, and then coming up, driving up, uh, there used to be the Sunny Jim peanut butter sign. Oh, yeah. And my mom, when she was a kid, used to call me Sunny Jim. That was her nickname, <laughs> her nickname for me. And I saw that and I said, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, so yeah. the neon signs, those those roads, not road signs, but those advertising signs, um, so much. Uh, was a part of why I thought Seattle was a cool place to be, uh, you know, back in 1992 when I when I got the chance to come up here and to be here. See, that's that's a cool thing because when they when the companies paid for those individual signs, they weren't thinking about attracting anybody cool to live here. They're just thinking about selling peanut butter or selling more newspapers or selling beer or whatever. And it's that sort of unintended consequence in a good way of exactly what you describe. It creates this atmosphere. It's a transmitter of what the culture is like here. And I agree with you. That, that globe, that PI globe, which actually, when it was originally built, was right across the street from where the elephant is now, up on Denny. Um, that's like an audacious neon sign. That's a neon sign that doesn't necessarily belong in a city the size of Seattle in 1948 when they put that globe up. That's a very aspirational globe saying, like, we're a big deal. We've got, you know, we, this, we're important. This globe, you know, it's in the PI. That's that's one of the most audacious neon signs probably in the in the city's history. Yeah, we're major league. We 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 can compete. Yeah, I know. I, I'm sure you can say, well, yeah, if you go to Yakima, I have a bunch of neon signs in this. Place. But there's nothing <laughs> quite like the PI Globe, man. That thing was just uh, knocked me off my feet. Now, what, Felix? What's going to happen? Uh, I, I know the car wash is one of my favorite car washes. I used to go there all the time to get my car wash when I lived on Queen Anne and. And when I, um, you know, when I worked at KJR and even Cairo, um, what what are we looking at now as far as the sign and the um, and, and the building and the, the facility itself? Well, I mean, the the sign is uh, the plan is for that sign to be taken down sometime this month. Um, there are some community activists in Belltown who are trying to have the sign remain in place, and we'll sort of see what happens with that. But if if it's allowed to move forward, the sign will come down. It will go to a company called Western Neon that builds and restores neon signs. They've restored the Rainier R. They've restored a number of signs here in town. And then it will go into the collections of the Museum of History and Industry. And, again, I used to work at Mohai. I still have a lot of friends there. Um, and it's unclear. I spoke to some people there a couple days ago. They're not sure what they're going to do with it um, once it's restored. It's big. It's difficult with an artifact that large to display it properly indoors. I suppose you could put it in that the Mohai location down there on, at South Lake Union. It might look good in that big open gallery. I, my fear is it'll end up in storage for the greater part of its you know, future life rather than per, on permanent display. And there's a school of thought, and I'm, I'm part of this school of thought, that neon signs belong outside because <laughs> they only look really good in the dark and they only look really good in the rain, especially in Seattle. And yeah, in some yeah. ways, they only really look good right where they were first installed, like that elephant was back in 1956. I mean, if I'm doing my math correctly, that's 64 years ago. That elephant almost qualifies for Social Security. It's been there so long. 
Um, and the idea of it not being at that particular stretch of Denny Way crossing over Aurora there, that just seems like a, a sad thing to me. And, you know, you can't be too sentimental if you're, if you're serious about history. So I'll probably never cut it as a real serious historian, so I'm, I'm kind of sentimental. But I just love that fact of driving past that elephant and just seeing it out of the corner of your eye and, and knowing where you are. So is it good that it's going to Mohai? Yeah. If, if the alternative was going into a private collector's hands or being scrapped or something, yeah, of course the museum is a better option. And the fact it will be restored uh, is a good thing because the, the neon, neon as a, as a sign, uh, lighting system will last forever. But the metal in the signs wears out and rusts out and that kind of thing. So they definitely need a lot of maintenance. So yeah, I, I'm having sort of mixed feelings about it. I'm glad it's not going to be destroyed, but I'm sad. It looks like it's probably not going to remain in place. Hopefully there's some, some compromise in between where a neon sign could be enjoyed outside in the dark, in the rain, in the cold, the way it's really meant to be appreciated. What would it take, do you think, to keep that sign in place? Would it take a movement? Would it take a... Uh... Uh, a, a rich donor? Would it, what, would, what would have to happen for it to stay where it is and they build whatever they're going to build there around it? Yeah, I mean, it would, take, it would take someone wanting to do it, number one, because you'd have to make some sort of compromise or some sort of uh, design change for whatever they have planned for that piece of property, which isn't a large piece of real estate, in, in my opinion. Um, there is a, there's a legal effort, this group called Friends of Historic Belltown, are trying to get the city to actually do a landmark study to determine whether or not that elephant in its current position um, qualifies for landmark status and some sort of protection. That would require the builder, developer, whoever actually wants to do something with that land to take a few additional steps. They still might be able to move it. They still might be able to get rid of it. But there's also a chance they might be able to incorporate it into the whatever is going to be designed there. That would be the perfect solution, right, that you'd, you'd the car wash is closed. We know that. Elephant has a couple other locations that remain open, but that Denny Way location is closed. So whatever's built there next, maybe there would be some way to incorporate that sign into the new design. So it's still in the same spot, still lighting up that corner of the city in the way it's done for almost 65 years. That would be a win-win-win-win-win, or however many wins that would be, I'm not sure. But that would just be awesome. And what a cool way to say that we recognize that the Seattle we live in now is part of the Seattle of 100 years from now. And if people could look back 100 years to now and say, wow, those guys were really thinking about the visual landscape and what the identity of a city is. I, I get stuck on this notion of identity. You, you travel around the U.S. much, you see all these similar chain stores, whether it's McDonald's or right. Ann Taylor or whatever. And I just, you know, that's the way business works, right? You sort of centralize things and have one company that does everything. I like the little quirky things that can hang on. And if the business can't hang on there, the sign certainly is a good way to kind of honor the past, but also yet think about the future. So remains to be seen what will actually happen. I think there's a little bit of hope that it might remain there, but I think a lot has to happen before then. Well, I hope that uh, in some in some way we can uh, we can help out the people that want to save the sign. It is um, next to the PI Globe. It's my favorite sign um, in Seattle, and, and to be honest with you. Uh, probably in my top two or three signs uh, nationally. And I've driven all over this country and seen, uh, you know, neon signs from the Bonnie and Clyde muffler shop out in Yakima uh, to the, uh, you know, to the Empire Theater in uh, in Wyoming, uh, excuse me, in Montana, you know, where there's, uh, you know, believe it or not, there's a few towns in Montana that are, you know, that on their strips have all these great neon signs uh, there must have been one heck of a neon sign salesman out in Montana uh, after World War II, because let me tell you, <laughs> there's signs all over the place. Uh, yeah, and, it, uh, yeah and, and we'll see where it goes, but we'll keep on top of it. Felix, it's good to talk to you, my friend. It's good to hear your voice, and uh, hopefully we can uh, we can keep up on this stuff with you. Hey, same here, Vinny. Nice talking to you. Have a good afternoon or good morning. All right, you two take care. Felix Benel from, of course, Cairo Radio, the Museum of uh, 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 Mohai, and a um, bunch of other stuff around town. He is uh, a guy that keeps an eye on the history of Seattle, which is disappearing in front of our eyes. As, uh, as I would like to say right now, save the pink elephant. Sumid will join us next uh, as we uh, check out the Rebel Rally. It's going on right now. She'll tell us what it is, why it is, how it is and how much fun it is here on Drive Time. It's new. It's new. It's new. The new, new 62 Lark by Studebaker. With big car comfort at compact prices. New, highest, widest doors of all. 
New. Big, sofa-soft, deep padded seats. New. Thick, rich pile rugs and flat flush floors with no trip over sill. New. Lock limousine, stretch out room. Big car comfort at a compact price. New. Giant lock trunks. Almost 17 cubic feet of cargo space. New. Big 15-inch wheels give you new riding comfort and surprise. New fresh styling in the big, wide, wonderful line of Larks from Studebaker. Two new Lark Daytonas, America's newest action car in hardtop and convertible style. With bucket seats, very sporty. A companion console compartment, very spiffy. Available too, four-speed transmission for exhilarating performance. Now enter the most luxurious car you'll find in the compact price range, the Lark Cruiser. More room and luxury than you'll find in most cars. Here's the new 62 Lark Hardtop with sliding sunroof, available on all Lark sedans and hardtops. Simply beautiful. Just peek inside. Look at these big, loungy limousine seats and thick pile rugs. Here's the new Lark Convertible. All dialed up with new 62 styling. There's big wagon room in the new 62 lock wagon, too. Look at that enormous cargo space. Please be sure to see and test drive all the exciting new 62 locks at your Studebaker dealer with big car comfort at compact prices. And remember, they're endurance built by Studebaker. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. All right, back with you on Drive Time Radio. New York, Vinny, keep the company with you on this rainy Saturday morning here in Seattle. We'll get a chance now to go from Seattle down to uh, the California and Arizona deserts where uh, a, a number of women and some pretty groovy, and I love the uh, groovy in this, groovy machines are scooting around the desert, having a lot of uh, fun competing with each other. It is the Rebel Rally. Uh, it has gone on for a number of years, and uh, it's probably something you haven't heard of. So we're going to make sure that you do know about it. Sue Mead is an automotive journalist and a friend of mine on Facebook, and we've known each other uh, for years. And she joins me now because she has actually competed in a number of rallies. And I want to get her, I guess you would call it, rally-eye view on this thing. Sue, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm all the way across the country in New England where the leaves are turning color and it's crisp at night. I love where you are, and I'm so excited to talk to you about the Rebel Rally. And that is underway. There was a prologue day yesterday. Now there's seven days of competition that begin today. And it's 2,500 kilometers long, so it's about um, 1,500, miles that the women will travel, and it started near Lake Tahoe, and it will end in the desert near the Mexico border in California. And it is, um, now this is um, something that's done, that is done by and, and with women, uh, which is, I guess, for, uh, you know, in the racing industry, in the rally industry, not particularly the people that you that comes to mind first is participating in this. But yet uh, these women have proven that that's just, a, 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 you know, a stupid thing to think that they can compete uh, on the same level and uh, as much fun and as much competitiveness as uh, as men and as anybody really who uh who would get involved in one of these uh, fun events. Exactly. Thank you for saying that. We've known each other for a long time, and I've been a professional automotive journalist for about 34 years, and I began my extreme off-roading in 1995 and have raced off-road in the dirt, in deserts, about 30,000 miles remember desert racing is long distance typically so this is the fifth annual event for women it's women only this rally and it was organized it's by emily miller who a number of years ago i've known emily for 20 years as an she's an off-road racer and an off-road racing 
and off-road trainer. And she began this rally for women um, in the U.S., but there's Canadian participants. There's participants who've come from France, I know, and women all across the country. It was inspired because there has been a rally in Morocco called the Gazelle Rally for women only that's entering probably its 28th year, and I have participated in that. And Emily wanted to to start a rally where women would not have to travel across the ocean, would not have to get their vehicles there or rent one. So it would be less expensive. So she has developed her version of this. And I was a team manager for one of the first, the teams the first year. And so I've been watching it um, again, because I'm a friend of Emily's and I know so many people, so many women participating this year, and you do as well, Vinny, because we have automotive journalist friends we, right. uh, that are participating. Also, some fun new vehicles this year. Right. The, the car companies, the manufacturers have found this to be um, a perfect avenue for them to uh, give teams uh, cars and let them uh, kind of have Adam. Uh, in this situation, I know that there's a couple of really, uh, you know, very new, not only the manufacturers, uh, but the off-road equipment people, the aftermarket manufacturers, the SEMA people, uh, you know, they've really invested in this race so that they have kind of a, a, a non-traditional proving ground for these, uh, for these vehicles and equipment. That's right. And one of the things that Emily Miller set in place was she wanted a rally where women could take a vehicle in their own driveway and bring that to the rally. There are two classes. There's the crossover class, and you'll see vehicles in that class that are bone stock. Like, for instance, Ford has entered three Bronco Sport teams, and those Bronco Sports are stock, what people would buy from the showroom floor. Right. And... Uh, Rivian has entered for the first time with an all-electric truck this year. Our good friend Emmy Hall from Roadshow is in that. So special consideration had to be made for charging that at night back at camp. And um, also the uh, Mitsubishi PHEV, um, which is... Um, does not have to be fully refueled, obviously, in the way that a plug-in does, but it's going to be, it's a hybrid electric. And um, what's really cool to see is that Infinity has entered their QX80, which, as you know, is a full-size luxury SUV. So it's the Queen Mary. I mean, it should have a, a like a uh, uh horn on it. <laughs> right. Well, you know... Emmy Hall and her partner um, last year won driving a Rolls-Royce Cullinan. So there are four-wheel, there's two classes, four-by-four four and crossover. And within those, there's even now a vintage class. There's a 69 Bronco that's been entered this year. Wow. So as Emily has grown the rally, she's added some different competition arenas within it. And um, I wanted to just make sure um, that I let you know that there's 36 teams. They're two-person teams, a driver and a navigator. They can switch. They can share those duties, or they can stay in their role the whole time. It's map and compass only, no GPS, cell phone. Oh, my God. How do they do it? (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you, I was lost every day in Morocco for the first seven days that I was racing there. You need to train, and the training is free once you sign up. And um, before I forget, I really want to encourage your listeners and you to follow along. Go to um, the Rebel, R-E-B-E-L-L-E, Rally website, and you can follow every day. There's live tracking. Last night I watched a 35-minute live video tv show from the rally and women that are there or being interviewed and by the way i also want to point out that there is a full-time covid coordinator 
on the rally for the 72 women that are racing and it's, um, or competing. And there's about 80 staff required to put this on. So there's a full-time COVID coordinator. Every woman had to show up with a negative test. They are, their temperature is taken and they are evaluated every day to keep the rally safe. And um, again, if your listeners look at any of the um, live coverage, they'll see everyone is wearing a mask. And believe it or not, you can hear them perfectly well through the masks. But Imagine um, that, boy. If there's only other people that would listen to that, I'm not mentioning any names. Um, I'm with so, you on that, sir. A, a, a quick final question for you, uh, and this is something I can't answer, but as, as a woman in the automotive world, what is this uh, rally, what is this race mean um uh to not only just women that race in it uh but but all women that participate in uh, in in the automotive business from mechanics that work at uh, dealerships to salespeople uh to journalists to, to, to women who work in a business that is traditionally so male dominated thank you for asking that as i said i've been in the business for about 34 years and what i've noticed is that to your point, women are in every end of the industry. They, they are more and more journalists, engineers, racers. But what it means is that in this rally, the manufacturers are so happy to have women forward-facing and um, in a competition with their everyday vehicles. And um, I think you're going to see it continue to grow. A few teams did drop out this year because of COVID, but the fact that there's 72 women, and by the way, it's tread lightly. It is not racing. It is for accuracy and time, finding a series of checkpoints every day. And if you've got time, I'd love you to um, either have me back on after the rally has ended next Saturday or um uh, I just encourage people to follow along and look at the final results. It's going to be really fun to see how women from across the country, women have participated from that are aged 18 up to age 72, to see how yeah. these women did. And lastly, you and I both know that women are either the influencers or the purchasers of 60-plus percent sometimes the stats are much higher of all vehicles today so manufacturers are really happy i'm really happy i know you're really happy to see women out there forward facing and by the way a, a quick note the bronco one of the bronco sports is being driven by two internals at ford that have never been off-roading and they were wow. on the bronco sport team helping it come to market and they were tapped to go out and try their hand at it so it's fun to see people that are novice or experienced take on the rally. That Bronco is going to be such a huge vehicle when it hits market. Uh, Sue, thank you so much for jumping on us. I wish we had hours to talk about this. But again, people, uh, rebelrally.com. You can follow us. a great website. I suggest you go there instead of watching stupid TV today. Go and spend a little time on this website and watch these women uh, go through the desert and the different terrains. Uh, from Lake Tahoe down to almost the Mexican border. It's an exciting race, and uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there are two. I know one definitely, but two teams from the Northwest uh, in in the race, so you can find them on the uh, on uh, the, the competitor uh, page and, and check That's them out. Right. Sue, thank, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. All right. Be well, my friend. Take care. All right. You too. Take care. Talk to you soon. Sue me joining us here on Drive Time Radio. Tell you what, let's get right into the cartoon of the week. Uh, Lou Christie, local Pittsburgh guy who um, had a, a bunch of hits with lightning strikes, was looking at his windshield one day, saw the um, windshield wipers going back and forth in a rainstorm and came up with this tune that talks about love in a car. Hey, Lou Christie cartoon our saturday morning cartoon of the week that is rhapsody in the rain from 1965 that was uh, kind of a follow-up to lightning strikes if i uh, remember right and uh christy of course uh, had a bunch of hits 
uh, from the Gypsy Cried on up to I'm Gonna Make You Mine in 1969. Still does a lot of oldies shows uh, these days. Still lives, I believe, in the Pittsburgh area. So uh, that's our cartoon of the week brought to you every week uh, because cars and music uh, go together so well. All right, time now for our Drive Time Road Test. The Drive Time Radio Road Test. Every week, Vinny puts another car through its paces and lets you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, not much ugly about the Hyundai venue. We talked about it with Nathan on, uh, yo, Vinny, what are you driving this week? Last week, and this week, we actually reviewed because I wanted to get the review out to you as quick as possible. Sometimes it takes us uh, a week or two by uh, between driving them and actually review them. We put our goodbye video up with some comments about the car. You can always find those on our Facebook page, our social media channels. You can always go to search uh, Drive Time Radio with Pictures on YouTube and find our YouTube channel there. And, um, you know, check out the different uh, cars that we say goodbye to. We always put a little video of them. This was... uh, an interesting car to say goodbye to, an interesting car to drive uh, during the week. Hyundai has um, uh, come up with a car, a small SUV. It's uh, reminiscent to me of the Kia Soul. It's somewhere in that size, maybe a little smaller than the Soul. Uh, but what they've done is uh, they, they've come up with a car that runs and starts around 18750 bucks, And uh, the top-of-the-line denim starts at 22,050 and includes so many safety features, uh, so many of the things that you expect in a modern car that I think really what Hyundai is doing here is they're saying we have a small urban runabout that runs on gas uh, that is um, comparable to uh, a small SUV, no four-wheel drive, but most people that drive an SUV never touch the four-wheel drive or the all-wheel drive, except in extreme conditions. And um, instead of buying a used SUV, uh, because our warranty is so good uh, and our service is so good uh, that we can get you into one of these at a $20,000 price point instead of a used car. And I think that they've, they've hit on something here. Uh, it probably goes up against the Mazda CX-3 and Nissan Kicks as far as um, its closest competition. Uh, but it is really well-styled uh, from uh, the time you look at this. You know, there's little styling things that I look at in cars when I, I, look at, I first look at a car. I first kind of go over the lines. You know, most cars look the same today. Uh, the uh, the um, uh, Hyundai Venue looks a little different than everything else. But I look for the little touches uh, that means to me that they put some care into this. They put some style into this. And the Hyundai always seems to come up with little things that amaze me. Now, on this particular car, it has external directional signals on the sides of the front fenders uh, that you would find normally on a British taxi cab or in Austin or, uh, you know, a British car. It's a very British thing to put those signals on the side of the fenders. You see them on the Mini Coopers. Well, the venue, at, at, you know, at 20000 bucks has them on there. I think it's a great safety thing uh, so the people on the side can see what you're, what you're going to do. Uh, also, uh, it is a, a small car, so it fits in a lot of different parking spaces. Very easy to drive. As a matter of fact, my daughter, who's learning how to drive, uh, got this thing in the parking space in the first shot. And it was uh, extremely, and, and she loved the car. Uh, she is, uh, you know, somebody who uh, is, you know, is, is an older driver, but is just learning how to drive. And she got this car, and and um, tried to park it because I wanted to see how easy it was to park. And she did a, a, a great job. It's a comfortable interior. It's not a large interior. If you're a big person, you, you would have to check yourself out with this thing. Seats, um, uh, manual seats that I was driving. But by the way, it did have seat heaters uh, at that eight, at, at 20000 price point. Uh, certainly, uh, there is um, uh, there's room. 
But if you're a large person, you want to get in this thing and check it out. Uh, with the proper adjustment of the seats and the steering wheel, I found it comfortable to drive a little, you know, maneuvering of the seats. Um, also, a high roof on this thing. So it gave you great visibility. The visibility was really good in this car. And of course, the, um, uh, the lines of the car, the little touches on the car, uh, really, uh, I thought, set it apart from its competition. But the cargo space is not the best in this car. With the rear seats up, you only get about uh, 18 and change uh, cubic feet of cargo space. If you drop them, you get 31. Now, um, if you drive a car like this, most of the time you're going to Costco, you're going here, you're going there. You're, you're never going to really fill this car up. This is not a car to buy if you have four kids. This is that urban runaround that is going to get you to the store. It's going to get you uh, to uh, the different places you want to go. It's going to take you to garage sales. It's going to take you to different things like that. And, um, you know, backseat is good for short trips or little children. I wouldn't advise going cross country uh, if you had to sit in the back seat, but it'll get you where you're going. Uh, when that back seat goes down, again, not cavernous and not among the class leaders, but for most of the things that you're going to use this car for, uh, you're going to be able to fit stuff in there uh, pretty easily. The venue also, the interior quality in the venue, I thought was, um, was really nice. Uh, the quality was decent. Uh, a lot of hard plastic, but that's, you know, when you're buying a $20,000 car, that's what you're going to get. You're not going to get luxurious leather. You're going to get adequate um, stuff that will service you well. Uh, I think the infotainment system in this thing is one of the best in the class. I think Hyundai has done a great job with their uh, with their uh, uh, system uh, so that it's easy. Uh, the Hyundai uh, roadside assistance to hit that button to call for assistance is easy. It works really well. It has Apple CarPlay and Android and responds quickly. It's it's not you know it doesn't it's not going to blow you away. It's just going to work good. And uh, the 1.6 liter four cylinder engine, 121 horsepower CVT. It'll get you where you're going adequately. The bottom line with the Hyundai uh, venue is that it is a good urban vehicle that you could take out into the country and get your Christmas tree and tie it to the top. 30 miles per gallon in the city, 33 on the highway. And it's uh, it, it handles well. And as I said, you're around $20,000 for this thing. And I have not seen a um, safety, um, uh, safety rating on this vehicle yet for the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety, but there are a ton of safety features. Overall, if you're looking for something for your kid, you're looking for something for yourself to drive around, go to garage sales, do the shopping, uh, 20,000 bucks or so, uh, you can't go wrong with the Hyundai venue. That'll do it for us this week. Another edition of Drive Time in the books. Thank you so much to Nathan. Thanks uh, to you for listening. And we'll catch up with you next Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, if the Lord's will and the creek don't rise, right here on Drive Time Radio. Have a good week.